Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Life Science Report, the podcast from Back Bay Life Science Advisors. My name is Pete Bach, your host, and I'm a managing director here at Back Bay in Boston. Today, it's a great honor and pleasure to welcome an old friend of mine, Mike Barncob. Mike now serves with a clinical appointment as a specialty registrar in clinical immunology at the Department of Clinical Immunology, Udense University Hospital in Denmark, and is a research fellow at the University of Southern Denmark. His interests span basic and clinical immunology with a particular interest in advanced cellular modalities such as chimeric antigen or CAR T-cells. I first met Mike while he was completing his medical degree uh, at the University of Southern Denmark. As part of his training, he completed a year of basic research at MIT's Koch Cancer Research Institute, where I was completing my postdoctoral training, and I had the pleasure of working alongside Mike day-to-day for about a year while he completed his stint in Boston. After returning to Denmark to complete his MD, Mike decided he actually needed some competent immunology mentorship and completed his PhD at the Wetherall Institute of Molecular Medicine at Oxford University in the UK. And today, Mike is joining us to speak about his experience with CAR-Ts as a clinician, scientist, and also as somebody who recently went through the rigors of getting a GMP facility at his institution up off the ground. Mike, it's great to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much, Pete, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. I feel I'm blushing right now. Yes, yes. Well, maybe if we get an audio version, people could see uh, <laughs> could see that. No, so, but it's it's great to it's great to be on and, and be invited on, Pete. Thank you so much. Excellent, pleasure to have you. So, Mike, as I talked about at the intro, I think you you have a lot of different perspectives to uh, to offer in the cell therapy space and in oncology. So I'd like to sort of walk through each one of them uh, as you put on your different hats of, of, a, of a clinician, a, a scientist, and somebody who's worked sort of on the more uh, nuts and bolts manufacturing side. So, so maybe starting at a, at a high level as a, as a clinician, maybe you could give our listeners just a little of, of your perspective on the current use of CAR-Ts, you know, what patients, clinical settings do you see as ideally suited for this technology and, and maybe in the near or medium term where you see it, see it going? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, I, well, I think there's, there's a clear use right now in, 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 uh, in a lot of the different hematological cancers, right, especially in the lymphoma uh, ballpark, where, of course, um, the in in Europe, uh, um, uh, there's I think now four EMA-approved drugs for DLBCL, and and those I think are bound to sort of spill over into other B cell malignancies. Um, in I I can tell you here in Denmark we are pretty far behind. We're we're not really utilizing this this uh, treatment modality. Um, for, for older patients, uh, it's only being used for, for children with ALL, for example. And this is something that, I mean, w- that we're trying to change um, um, by, by sort of pushing it both from an academic angle, but also enabling uh, clinicians and, and uh, companies to, to work closer together to sort of facilitate uh, 
the, the work that needs to be done to sort of to offer these uh, somewhat, I mean, advanced therapies, right? They, they take a lot of work to do. They're, they're expensive. Um, and in Denmark, it's a, it's a public health care based system. So there's a lot of focus on sort of not introducing too expensive uh, treatment modalities. But I think overall, I think that that's where we are at now. And I think that will continue. Um, what I hope is that 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 can be both sort of improved upon with uh, all the different work that is now going on. There's a lot of focus on sort of using allogeneric uh, uh, modalities instead, which will hopefully enable this to sort of be a treatment that you can maybe offer off the shelf, um, i.e. faster, which is definitely something that uh, would be good for for the patients that now receive this therapy. And um, and, and also I'm hoping, well, I, I think it can spill over into actually some, some other disease types as well. I mean, solid tumors, of course, is a, a massive focus, but um, there's been a trial in Germany now where they try and, 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 and give heavily pretreated um, SLE patients um, this debilitating autoimmune disease, um, uh, a CD19 specific uh, car, and which showed really good results. Um, and I think for a lot of the uh, a lot of the patient groups where we now give them tons of CD20 or CD19 depleting monoclonal antibodies, there's there's definitely a subpopulation of those patients that don't respond well to to monoclonals that could maybe respond with a a, a bigger hit that a cellular therapy could be if it can be you know made uh, maybe off the shelf maybe a bit safer a bit more like a uh, um, a, a, a not so advanced drug if you understand what I mean so yeah. that's sort of. I guess big, 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 big picture. <laughs> Interesting. I, I had never heard of the um, the the SLE or, or or lupus trials, and I guess it it makes sense given, again, as you alluded to, a pathfinder for anywhere a CD nineteen or CD twenty is used ostensibly. One could consider, you know, one of these car modalities, and obviously that that opens up a lot of autoimmune diseases where, you know, historically rituxan has been used um, off-label, but as part of guidelines in many diseases, um, you know, or as, as sort of a, uh, one of the additional label extensions that has, has happened for the asset. But, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, that, that sort of doesn't this. include the, the, the question of, of pricing and reimbursement, um, in that space, given, um, given the cost of these therapies, but as you alluded to, it sounds like they were using it in, in very, very advanced stage lupus patients. Yeah. And this was actually, uh, and, and a very young patient, she, I, th I believe she was only 19 when they initiated the trial, um, mm. but had failed on, on, on multiple other drugs, including, Interestingly, a CD19 uh, specific monoclonal. <laughs> so, um, yeah. but but apparently the I think in some cases the because these sort of living medicines they're able to infiltrate perhaps better into different right. um, cellular um, uh, organizations and, and, and organs um, uh, they might have a different effect, right? So, 
Yeah. Um, but I think, but I think overall, I think the push in the hematological cancer uh, uh, side is going to continue. And uh, I, the big thing is to identify the patient that are are going to benefit from this. Um, there was three big sort of uh, phase three trials presented at ASH, if I remember correctly. Uh, one from Kite Gilead and. Uh, which showed uh, where they actually moved it up to second line and compared it to standard of care. And, uh, and of course, uh, another one from Novartis. Uh, they're both CD19-specific cars. Um, they, in, in, in sort of phase one and two trials, they seem very similar. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, but the data from, from, the, from Kite Gilead seemed uh, a bit better, probably because that... Um, it showed a big difference between the standard of care and and uh, and, uh, and the treated group, um, and maybe that is because of the way they selected the patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they might have had a bit uh, less uh, aggressive uh, B cell tumors, and so I think I think really what those trials showed is that we can if we can sort of subselect the patient group more, I think we can get better results. Um, and it also shows that maybe going on earlier uh, might actually be beneficial to to some to, to a lot of patients. But of course, then you sort of um, you you hit a not natural barrier because these therapies are hard to produce and they yeah. take a long time. So you can't just treat everybody with them, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it seems they're using sort of this standard oncology playbook of starting last line and and then sort of marching your way up earlier in the. Yeah, in the treatment paradigm, but given this isn't just sort of, uh, you know, a, th- a therapy in a vial that needs to be reconstituted and then given IV, uh, there are a whole bunch of other considerations uh, to be had as you sort of consider that strategy. I, I, I guess sort of part and parcel of that, Mike, in your introduction, you sort of alluded to it and would, would like to hear more about, you know, the experience or your thoughts of the commercial rollout um in denmark of 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 car t's and we can talk a little bit about what you've been doing at your institution from maybe a a homebrew as we would say um car approach but from a commercial standpoint maybe talk about you know you said it's mainly being used in all patients relative to the dlbcl populations where they they do have a label and and just maybe from where you sit what are you seeing as some of the the challenges for getting these medicines into uh, into people? Yeah, so so right now the the main challenge is that we're not utilizing it um, for patient groups that I think uh, could be thought to have it, and this is this is due to the way medicines are approved in Denmark. They have to go through something called the Medicine Council, which then looks at available data and they go into a sort of a, um, a discussion uh, with the company on pricing and sort of the clinical efficacy, efficacy data that the company can provide. And they sort of have an ongoing discussion back and forth around that. And then this this council, which is, um, is sort of removed from both politicians and, and companies, is, then makes a decision on what what the medicines to improve and and um, and this has had something to do with uh, escalating costs of uh, especially oncology drugs I think um, 
uh, up through the the last 20 years uh, where it used to be around 8% of the, I think the number of money we we spent on the healthcare system, it's up to 14 or 15%, something like that. So it's sort of almost doubled in size. And um, there was a political wish to sort of push a bit back on that, I think. And, um, and that, but that, what that means right now is that unfortunately we're not in front when it comes to implementing novel therapies, which I think is, is bad for the patients uh, ultimately, unfortunately. Um, and so um, right now it's only being used for, for, for ALL uh, uh, patients under 25. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's hard to see that it won't play a very big role in, in the near future due to this these phase three trials that I just mentioned. Um, uh, it's just a matter of finding out sort of a way to to implement it and actually do it. Now I think it's the main is is the main problem. The the hematological doctors that I talk to are all extremely keen to to start working with cellular therapies. And it's sort of, it's now come to the point where I think com- other countries that are using it are using CAR therapy in lymphomas in many different sort of ways and combinations. They use it as a bridge to uh, um, uh, bone marrow transplantation yeah. or they use it in combination with bispecifics. There's all these sort of interesting combinations opening up. And we're being sort of left behind <laughs> because we're not, yeah. we're, we're, we're being a bit slow. So, um, so we, so here in, in Ulm, so where, where, where I work, we sort of looked at this and thought, okay, well, um, that process is going on, but why don't we try and, 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 um, and, and, um, actually, uh, try and bring a, a, a academically produced car mm-hmm. to, to patients. Um, this would then be something that Denmark is a small country. So basically we could patients could come could come here and we could treat them and that so that's sort of our 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 mission i guess and um and this is not to sort of uh i don't think we're going to be able to compete with with the companies and that's not really our wish but we do we did have a, a big wish to uh to get experience with these therapies and actually make sure that we're um able to quickly sort of convert the experiences that we make in our academic setting to yeah. to clinical practice, hopefully. So it's a small thing, but basically because we're making them academically, we can we can sort of measure how much car a patient have in their blood. Mm-hmm. It's not um, something that other sort of hospitals are uh, qualified to do right now. And so, so there's just yeah. these small things that help. Yeah. And, um, and but then we basically set out to sort of build a GMP lab, which is a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, so, so that that's a perfect transition because that's something that, um, you know, for our work, we certainly talk about the manufacturing process of cars and how that sort of has strategic implications for the type of assets or the development path that our clients are taking, especially those that are maybe considering uh, allogeneic or other types of modalities that may shorten the manufacturing process but um would would love to hear just your your experience sort of uh, helping get that facility off the ground sort of how you know how long it took what were sort of some surprising things that you may have learned along the way that you didn't you know expect to be a a hurdle or a consideration building out a a gmp lab making these cellular products 
Yeah, so I think I think we, we talked to a lot of people when we started building it, and and one thing that everybody said is, oh, this is going to be more expensive than you than you think it's going to be. And I <laughs> and I, I hate to sort of bring that advice on, but I think that it it just costs more money than you initially <laughs> set out to or you think <laughs> sure. it will cost. <laughs> but but actually, that being said, we're a pretty small team. We're I think maybe five or six people sort of involved in this, and yeah. um, and uh, we have. I think one of the advantages we have is we have sort of a, a in-house building corps that can help us uh, connect to the contractors and the engineers. Um, yeah. And um, and of course we're so the department I'm in now we have experience making sort of clean rooms and, and facilities. So all those things combined, I think, uh, has has made it a, an, an okay process. Um, um, we were lucky that one person, uh, Anna Tromholt, uh, joined us who had sort of ex company experience. That was actually a huge help because he could very sort of effectively tell us what, what where we needed to be careful and what we needed to put more effort into. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically the, the, the clean rooms themselves, we put a lot of effort into making sure that the uh, that the way we work in them actually works and mm -hmm. that all that we had sort of described all the processes that we wanted to do in there. Um, and it's not, but it's not more complicated than that. Honestly, um, yeah. we decided to build a, a one room for making, uh, the cellular products in, mm -hmm. um, which can sort of be expanded if, if need be. And then we made the decision to also build, a, a room for making vectors. And so we're, okay. yeah. we're, we're making lentivirus vectors mm -hmm. ourselves. Um, this is, um, um, I, I, I think, I hope this is a good decision um uh, it's something in europe where there's sort of a backlog i uh, and yeah and they can be quite expensive to have made yeah um but we have i don't know yet if we actually can pull it off <laughs> so so um um so, so that i think that's basically building the laboratories and figuring out what work you're going to do in there but it, i mean it's not rocket science right um yeah. um and then uh, it's just taken longer i think than than we expected yeah. um but now we sort of we, we made our first batch um i think about a month ago now and um and are sort of keen to get all the um the legal improvements uh set and then we're hoping to, to start up a, a phase one trial in yeah. sort of the next year or two basically okay excellent um, and and I should say we're sort of we're build we're trying to make uh a, we're trying to make our own sort of cars as well so we're hoping this can be a linchpin to sort of start up phase one trials with uh with with cars that are, we are now currently testing in 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 in, in preclinical settings and in, in in mice right so we're hoping we can sort of generate a pipeline from the lab to to patients that way. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting a couple of your comments mike because we certainly hear from clients not only on the cellular manufacturing front but also you know even things like vector development you know be it for something to use for a car or you know an in vivo gene therapy that you know manufacturing now is a huge backlog and consideration so it's it's very interesting hearing you talk about making your own Lenty, uh, it's, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, and it's actually one thing we, 
Right now, I think the business model is that we, we harvest the cells and we send it to a company and they do all the work, right? But uh, that, at least in Europe, that required for a long time to the cells to, for some companies to be sent to the US. And it gives us mm. sort of this long needle to needle time where a lot of these patients are very, very sick. And so you come in at a later time point, they might have progressed in their tumors yeah. or um, and, and, and might not actually be able to receive the product at that point. And so having it locally has some, um, it, it does make some clinical sense because ideally you could sort of make them extremely fast, use fresh cells, avoid uh, freezing them down to sort mm -hmm. of get a maybe a, a, a superior product. Um, but that requires that there's actually companies that will sell us their vectors, right? And yeah. and um, and and that's not a business model that's been that much explored. But I but actually um, there's one company in Europe that's now doing it, and there might be more. But at least we we found one company that sort of does that. And so so maybe that's a business model as well. But then what the company is selling is the lentivirus, and then uh, they have to sort of trust enough in us that we, enough in, in, in people locally that they can do it so maybe it's right, right. i don't know it's it's tricky i think <laughs> yeah there's a lot of moving parts and it's also interesting to hear that you know building and contractors are the same whether you're finishing your basement or building a gmp cellular <laughs> facility that it takes longer and is more expensive than you uh expect but um uh so you, you sort of alluded to it Mike, I, I'd like to sort of transition a, a little bit to some of your basic and translational research interests and, and sort of uh, bring me up to speed and share with our listeners a little bit about what you're doing and, and the type of car constructs and research you're currently engaged in. Yes. Yeah, so th well, thanks for, thanks for asking. <laughs> we're, we're I, I should say, we're a very young group, so we sort of... Um, we started about two years ago and of course the pandemic hit so yeah. um but uh i feel like we've we've after a, a few hiccups i think we've we've really um started making a lot of headway in the recent couple of uh, well in the last year basically and and so we have um sort of two lead candidates one and they're both based on sort of the same uh target and then either having it as a sort of a single target or combined with CD19 to make a, a bi-specific car. And this is because a lot of, not a lot, but but some patients that relapse after following uh, chimeric engine receptor therapies are actually lose the, the targeted mm -hmm. uh, protein. Um, and so having sort of more targets might be a way to to get around that. And and uh, so that's that's been our main interest in, in uh, and we're lucky there's a hyperdoma facility uh, in at our local university. And so uh, we can sort of make a lot of antibodies quickly and test them. And um, I think the easy bit is actually to to make the antibody and, and, and make a car show that it kills, but then you need to show it actually doesn't bind to all kinds of other weird proteins in your mm -hmm. body and mm -hmm. don't generate sort of off-target effects. Um, and um, so, so we've, that, that has been our main focus. And then we've had uh, uh, a lot of focus on developing uh, sort of better ways to transduce T-cells. Okay. Uh, um, I think right now there's quite sort of a standard way of, of doing it. And we use a lentiviral system, but... Um, we're finding that um, there are many aspects of 
actually getting good transduction and actually getting transduction of the sort of the cell line that or cells the, the subpopulation of T cells that are uh, able to sort of keep killing mm-hmm. um, uh, target cells sort of under repeated stimulations that are actually the ones that are able to 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 sort of keep killing a lot of if you just transduced bulk T cells a lot yeah. of these stop working after mm-hmm. a few uh, um, uh, kills and um, this is it's not something we've shown clinically but we think it's important for the product that we then hope to to make in the end uh, because if we can give a product that maybe that has better persistence once they um, yeah. enter the patient they, they might they might give a better clinical outcome at least that's our hope so that's a yeah. focus area as well and then we've spend a lot of time um, just learning the basics of how to make virus. Like, yeah. how do you actually, like, how do you scale it up into yeah. big populations? And uh, and so we, I think we made a lot of silly mistakes um, beginning this, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 um, but I, yeah. Um, but I have to say, personally, I think that it's the T-cell biology for me that's, that's definitely the most interesting. Um, how, how the car synapse signals how that actually affects the life cycle of of the car t-cell afterwards uh, yeah. it's not that well explored but it's something yeah. i think is going to be important and yeah. i mean if we start moving over into other um, um, cell types um, nk cells or mm-hmm. invariant t-cells uh, um, then I think these things will be important as well in another way. We're, we're, so basically, uh, the blood bank business in Denmark is run by clinical immunologists. And so we're quite keen, on actually, on, on being able to try and make allogeneic cars. But yeah. um, uh, if you start using other cell types, it's the, the game changes. <laughs> they're, they're not like T-cells, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, a, a, lot of, a lot of interesting stuff. I think you're your question about sort of targeted transduction of T cells as it pertains to, you know, ability to um, persist with effector function is, is interesting in a, in a um, shrewd move, because if you do look at the data, there is a pretty strong correlation between persistence and, and long-term responses. Um, you know, and I think the question of how to leverage other, cell types is a uh probably a we could do a whole podcast on an individual cell type uh especially you know <laughs> yeah. there was just data yeah. this week coming out from the aacr you know we're recording on the 13th of of april um you know of the combination antibody um you know cell therapy approach from afimed targeting um in k cells uh in cancer so um, you know. So I wanted. I had a student, and I tried to convince him he should make all the different combination of immune cells that he could get his hands on, then see if they sort of had a synergistic effect. Like basically, transduce every every cell you can, right? Yeah. And then figure out how to how if if it's actually the combination of sort of activated cells that make a difference but of course that's no no way that can be translated clinically and my my professor was shaking his head like like you would do 
um, when I suggested stupid things. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, uh, but, it, it, well, it does sound like a good project to have a student do that you don't actually have to do yourself. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. And, and certainly sounds like there's a, a lot more um, uh, to potentially have you back and, and discuss. So, Mike, where if, if people want to uh, hunt you down and, and, and talk to you, uh, how can they... Uh, how can they find you? So, so first of all, we're always welcoming guests uh, in Ulm. So, if you if you want to see the home of H. C. Anderson, uh, we're very okay. very uh, pleased to to host anybody who's interested in, in cellular therapies or immunology. <laughs> and, but otherwise, I'm I'm on Twitter, uh, just Mike Barnkop. And um, yeah, I think that's probably the best place to to sort of follow me or write me if anybody's interested. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, I've known Mike for going on 10 plus years and I still can't pr pronounce Udens no matter how many times he, he coaches <laughs> me. So, well, thank you, Mike, very much for, for joining us. Please uh, uh, look him up and get in touch if you're interested in, in Mike's research. And if you have any questions about biopharma and med tech strategic development, partnering, licensing or more, head over to the podcast page on our website and submit them at www.bblsa.com backslash podcasts. Your question may be the topic of an upcoming podcast. We look forward to hearing from you and thank you for joining us on the Life Science Report from Back Bay Life Science Advisors. Mm -hmm.